0: Hello, and welcome back to Floor Nine. I am your host, Scott Elchison. With me as always is my co-host, Adam Simon. Adam, what's going on?
1: Hello. Uh, doing well. Doing well. Having an exciting cyber week. I guess that's what we call this now. The, the week after Cyber Monday.
0: The deals are still going. <laughs>
1: the, the deals never stop. It's... Uh... <laughs>
0: <laughs> it is deals on deals on deals, <laughs> yeah. baby. Uh, if you miss them, they're still there. But uh, did you buy anything? Or Was there anything that you were excited about this Black Friday? Slash uh, you know, slash I, week?
1: I, I wish that I were more excited. I feel like the sales this year are a little weak. I feel like supply chain issues have come for our sales. <laughs> and, and there's just not uh, uh, a, there, yeah, I don't know. I bought, I bought a few things, but nothing like exciting. It was mm-hmm. mostly stuff I was going to buy anyway. And it's like, well, I guess I will save a few dollars.
0: I was kind of in the ironic camp of Black Friday sales where, for example, like the stock market and the crypto market were down. And I was like, oh, LOL, Black Friday deals for, uh, some <laughs> for financial assets. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah, for, yeah, exactly. But I didn't buy anything physical. I bought an NFT. Uh, as as you know yeah Yeah. and financial assets but i actually this year didn't buy any physical goods which is different than normal yeah we we both
1: bought (laughs) nfts which is notable i suppose Um,
0: (laughs) a a change in what black friday means to a new group of individuals
1: so we bought we both bought nfts you said you didn't buy anything physical um but uh there actually is a cool new collaboration to help display your NFTs in physical spaces. Uh, NBA Top Shot, which uh, of course was sort of NFTs breakout moment earlier this year. They're partnering with a company called Infinite Objects, which gives you, it's basically a digital picture frame, but it's specifically designed to display NFTs. So, you know, you didn't buy anything physical yet, but you could get Correct. a little Infinite Objects uh, frame for for your the NFT that you purchased. If, for example, if you were going to re-gift it, that might be a nice way to uh, to do that.
0: <laughs> the blending of physical objects and NFTs is super interesting, yeah. especially from like a, a, a re-gifting standpoint. But I love this uh, little picture frame basically it's as one of those use case i guess solutions where people have been saying what are you gonna do with nft how are you gonna display it well boom here it is we have the first uh product available um and i kind of wish it wasn't specifically for nba top shot because i have a few other things that i would like to display but you know it's a step in the right direction uh so that's that that is exciting my
1: understanding i think that infinite objects if they are not already they will soon be selling them sort of agnostic of top shot Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. But the other cool thing that happens with uh, NFTs and, and tying it to, uh, to kind of to physical things, basically, AMC and Sony are offering NFTs uh, to uh, the first batch of people who are pre-ordering tickets for the next Spider-Man movie, um, which is mm-hmm. cool. You know, I think we, we've talked about this before, the idea of tying a collectible NFT to the purchase of another good or service. Uh, so that, that's, uh, that's very cool.
0: Yep, absolutely. What's also interesting interesting. interesting and again we're still in the nft space here but adidas and nike have made a lot of movement kind of in the broader nft but more the even metaverse space and we know for example that adidas has a collaboration with the board ape yacht club one of the most famous nft uh communities out there uh as well as two other um communities now not much has been released about what the actual collaboration is outside of just some pictures on social of Adidas branded clothing uh, on a board ape uh, as well as on, I think a, a, a pixel punk, uh, but they're, they're doing something. And it, I th- I think it's so interesting that, you know, a brand like Adidas, like to me, this seems like, like a perfect way to tap into culture, right? Is um, how can you, take your, your existing products, your existing collaborations, and kind of bring them into the virtual environment. And here's a way to do that in a way with, dare, do I dare say it, Adam, a virtual influencer?
1: <laughs> potentially, potentially.
0: I think that's an easy way in, you know, for a, a fashion brand, a streetwear brand that has just a lot of cultural relevance, uh, and as a way to kind of like bring that credibility to those communities.
1: In contrast to what Adidas is doing, uh, and 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 you know not in response to it at all, I'm sh- I'm sure, but uh, Nike has teamed up with Roblox to create a virtual world called uh, Nike Land. So it's actually an entire. Sort of proto metaverse environments uh, inside of Roblox. We've seen several brands work with Roblox before, um, but this one is the most sort of. Uh, you know, we've we've seen brands like Gucci did sort of a retrospective inside of Roblox, which was very cool. Um, this is actually a, a recreation of Nike's real life headquarters, which include office buildings, but also things like fields and arenas where you know you can actually use Nike products in uh, Roblox's virtual space inside these mini games that built inside of Roblox. Um, so it's very cool. It's it's a very, uh, I think, the most sort of direct sort of metaverse uh, creation by a brand that we've seen yet.
0: Yeah. And it, this to me is just uh, is another signal that shows how important it is for brands to participate and build in these new environments versus kind of like that mass media like advertising. Like, like driving like awareness, right? Like I think there's just so much value in companies like participating in the culture, building inside the community, like giving I don't know, like value to it. Um, there's just a building emphasis around, like, how do you participate in community? And to me, this is like a great example of that. Right,
1: right. Like, I'm sure they got an influx of users on the first day and the first week. Um, will they see a continuous influx of users? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but they have a foothold here in, in Roblox now so that if they, you know, a year from now decide to up their investment in the space, they already have it built out and it's not starting from scratch. And along the way, you get all of the great... PR and reputation that comes from being an innovator and from really sort of meeting your users where they are.
0: And the creators that are, you know, building these environments like being in Nike Land, like doing videos in Nike Land, put it on YouTube, put it on TikTok, right? Like that kind of like that organic and earned uh, presence uh, I think is just so, so key. But another Metaverse competitor out there, uh, Fortnite has announced new party worlds that are going to be focusing on the idea of like socialization within Fortnite. So they've collaborated with some of their community members. Uh, One is named Five Walnut and the other one is called Trey JTH. They're each going to be building their own custom uh, party world. So one's going to be an amusement park called Walnut World. And the second one is more of like a late night lounge, and it has like a uh, nightclub vibe to it. So it's really like a a community first approach for Epic to team up with these individuals to kind of build something for their larger community uh, and see really, you know, how the larger, you know, Fortnite player base interacts with them. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this. Um, I think this is similar to what's happening with Nike and Roblox. This is like just a future area of entertainment, a small majority of people might actually go there and hang out there. But then the content and the kind of earned media that will be across the rest of you know, our social channels, uh, I think is definitely a benefit.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think what's happening here is this has been possible for users to create these, these types of environments for a while using creator mode. What's really happening here is that Fortnite is blessing some of them and promoting them. Right. Uh, and I think that yep. that's great, right? It, it's a way to promote your, the best creators on your platform to the rest of your user base. Um, so I think it's, it's really what we're seeing is Fortnite figure out their creator strategy and it's so far so good. Absolutely. And one last thing before we, we move on from, uh, metaverse news it was uh <laughs> it was a big week for barbados for news about barbados i i wasn't expecting <laughs> that Adam, but tell um, me more <laughs> I, normally we wouldn't be talking about Bar- you know just a, a random country but it was a big week for barbados they uh they became a sovereign republic they got rid of the british monarchy mm-hmm. finally uh they named rihanna their new national hero and we they love- are the first sovereign nation with an embassy in the metaverse
0: do you know what metaverse they're in?
1: Yeah, it's in Decentraland, which is the, uh, the metaverse that is, uh, the sort of the most tied up with, uh, with the idea of crypto and NFTs. So, you know, a nice callback to some of the stuff we were talking about just a, a few minutes ago, but, uh, it is, uh, also the one that allows sovereign ownership of property inside the metaverse. So unlike, Fortnite or Roblox, uh, where you can create stuff, but it's still sort of managed under, under the traditional forms of a license with the owner company. Uh, in Decentraland, you can actually purchase land that you then own. So that's why it makes sense for them to choose Decentraland uh, as the place to open their first digital embassy. Um, and, you know, it's again, it's just like we were saying with uh, with Nike, uh, are they going to get a lot of guests at the, the the embassy in Decentraland? Probably not today or tomorrow. Uh, although it would help if there was a, a virtual Rihanna there, maybe to encourage some participation. Maybe <laughs> maybe this will push Rihanna over the edge into uh, creating uh, her own uh, avatar and, and jumping into the space. But but um it's it's uh, more a statement of intent that we think this is important and we want to uh, get our foot in the door and be there early on uh, and show that we're we're. Innovative and interesting.
0: What do you think is like the like the real goal today for Barbados with being in Decentraland?
1: Yeah, I mean they're talking about it as technology diplomacy, uh, which is in line with cultural diplomacy. It's just a way for them to engage with people in Decentraland and and also expand their sort of diplomatic relations, not just with people in that metaverse, but also they 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 hope that they will actually be able to engage with other countries in that in the metaverse as well. And they're already sort of looking towards the future. Future as to actually maybe one day starting to provide services in that space uh, with with things like virtual visas uh, and things like that. So I you know I think hard to say where this will go uh, in the future. They have some very I think high minded ideas about it, but I also think it's they're just trying to say we are open minded about where this technology is going and we want to be part of it if it, if it takes off. And you know again maybe it doesn't go anywhere in the future. Maybe decentral not the right platform. Uh, but they are are putting their foot in the door and saying we we think that this might be important and we want to be part of it.
0: Well, Adam, definitely a big week for Barbados <laughs> and hopefully we have some sort of collaboration between them and Netflix for the season three of The Outer Banks because, as we all know, season three is happening in Barbados. So uh, I have high hopes for some sort of <laughs> promotional event in Decentraland. Um, but with that, everybody, that is going to wrap up our new section for this week. And next, we're going to jump into a conversation with Kenton Langsruth, the CMO of Decubate, a blockchain based investment platform to discuss DeFi and its impact on the changing investor mindset among consumers. Kenton, welcome back to floor nine.
2: Uh thanks. Thanks. It's it's nice to be here um you know in in this new capacity as as being someone who's now focused uh in the in the crypto space in the crypto realm
0: yeah totally i think the last time you were here you were uh, with us as uh intersection uh and now you've gone and pivoted into the world of crypto being the cmo of decubate so just to kick things off what is decubate because i think that'll be uh something our listeners need to know about to kind of help set the stage for our conversation that we're going to have on uh this week's episode
2: absolutely Yeah, Decubate is a crowdfunding platform for blockchain-powered businesses. Um, It sounds like a a mouthful, but effectively, we believe that Web3 and, and blockchain ultimately is going to transform the world. And really what we're going after as Decubate is trying to create an opportunity for existing businesses who have some level of traction or some level of product market fit to easily and seamlessly enter the the blockchain space. So we um, have a consultancy service that helps these traditional businesses prepare and to get ready for uh, web three. And then we also have a crowdfunding platform where we have a number of retail investors. I think at this point it's roughly 5,000 um, that basically are able to invest in these new offerings or these new solutions that these businesses are creating uh, for, for the blockchain space. So it's exciting. Like I think this whole trend is inevitable and I think we're just trying to do our part to, to speed this shift from web two to web three along.
0: And so I have to ask, like what because when you're thinking about these web 2.0 companies going to web three and integrating blockchain in some capacity, like what are the ways in which they're kind of doing that? Are there certain maybe pillars or best in class examples of like here's how you can kind of, you know, insert the blockchain and web three into a web two product.
2: Yeah, I, I think I think it really starts with the idea of tokenization right? So the this idea of, you know, fractionalizing some component of their business into tradable tokens, like that, that I think is sort of like the the cornerstone, or sort of the starting point from a web two company to a web three company. And I think the benefits of tokenization for, you know, existing businesses, you know, certainly are access to, you know, a global, you know, audience. I mean, a lot of times we work with businesses that might have a stronghold in a specific country but you know really haven't figured out ways to you know extend themselves you know internationally or even globally so i think you know tokenization is attractive to them because they're able to more seamlessly offer you know opportunities to invest in their business and to transact with customers globally through um you know creating digital tokens for their business i would say another oh, fascinating. You know, thing yeah another piece that's really interesting is you know, from a funding raise from a fundraising perspective, you know, instead of, you know, necessarily having to tap, you know, um, you know, traditional venture capitalists, um, or even, you know, even like, you know, angel networks are giving up equity in their existing business through tokenization. They're actually, you know, offering up investment opportunities to re- to global retail investors. So they're actually able to access liquidity without giving, Up equity. So, for a lot of businesses that are scaling, this is like a whole, this is a really exciting development for them because previously, you know, they were always having to give up some percentage of their cap table.
0: So, Kenton, I'm curious to get your perspective on how you see, you know, individuals that are participating in DeFi, uh, you know, how that has impacted the overall investor mindset.
2: Yeah, I I think it's really changed the mindset from being an active participant from an investment perspective being a, as opposed to being a passive um, investor, meaning that, you know, today within the context of, of, of DeFi, you need to be an active investor and you need to do that yourself. That, that's really part of the DeFi culture. Whereas, you know, previously within the traditional financial system, it was, a lot of times that responsibility was outsourced there's no outsourcing of your fiduciary or your your investment moves within the context of uh, of defi but with that great power there, there there is great responsibility in the fact that there are no safety nets per se like if you if you make some you know decisions that you know result in you making a mistake or backing a project that doesn't necessarily work out like you know no one's going to come to save you which is why i think at least in the us and you know across you know a number of countries, there's still some ambiguity from a regulatory perspective as to whether or not people should be able to participate in some of these you know early stage uh, investments. But we do accept um, you know investment in, and we do KYC um, investors from you know 120 or 130 plus countries. So that access is still there, but I think there are some safeguards in place because the regulatory environment is still a bit murky. But I do agree with you, like it's exciting to have that ownership it's also exciting because of the community building right so this is not one oh, of those totally. things where it's like hey i am an investor and i'm sort of making decisions in isolation it's you're part of uh, many times of a of a of a larger community and you know, I think through social engineering and through um, a lot of the uh, you know communication platforms, whether we're talking about you know Discord or or Telegram, you're actually able to bring groups of people together who are like minded, who want to share information, and who want to see each other succeed. It's making financial systems more attractive to you know hundreds of thousands, if not hundreds of millions, of new people. There's plenty of value creation to go around for everyone. So.
0: Besides that community element, that obviously is a big part of DeFi. You know, what else has DeFi added to investing?
2: So I think as an investor, the excitement is that this system is is truly global in nature, versus being time specific to one region or one country. Right? Like smart contracts don't necessarily you know need a break, and because there are no middlemen. Um, you know, there's no there's no logical or rational reason as to why there should be set hours for for trading and for investing.
0: Kenton, I, I'm interested to hear from your perspective how you see DeFi eliminating like the middlemen or the fees uh that were in place in the traditional investing systems uh that we have today.
2: That's a great question. So the baseline I would I would say, you know, we talked about timing and time but the the idea of time. So there there are no you know, quote unquote, banking hours within DeFi. So if you wanted to, you know, uh, you know, access funds or, 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 or share funds or receive funds, like, you know, DeFi is always open. There, there are no, you know, op, you know open or close hours there. So I think that's one piece of it. I think the second piece is, you know, this innovation of, you know, DeFi being trustless. So there isn't necessarily a, you know, custodian in the middle that's sort of, you know, settling funds one way or the other. Um, You know, it's, it's, it's one user or one wallet on one side and one user and one wallet on the other side, transacting in a trustless manner. Um, So I think that that certainly is somewhat concerning to the traditional financial system. And I think a lot of people forget that the Payment rails, the traditional payment rails that many of these banks and and much of the of the existing financial services industry is built upon, are rather ancient. I think they've done a great job with creating new user experiences and new user interface design. All of them, I think, are doing a really good job when it comes to you know allowing people to access their products and services through the lens of mobile uh, and through the lens of other advanced interfaces. But the actual Rails themselves are, are ancient, so I think the next step or the next evolution that I expect from traditional financial services companies and banks is to actually start to, you know, take advantage of the payment rails and settlement rails of DeFi to to accelerate their businesses going forward. Fun- fundamentally, I think it's a rebuild job. I don't think it's a oh we're going to port our existing financial, uh, you know, rails you know into into the world of DeFi.
0: Well, I think that's going to wrap up um, our conversation. Kenton, where can our listeners find you on the Web 2 and the Web 3?
2: <laughs> yeah, l- luckily, a lot of the, uh, the, the, the ways that you uh, find, uh, you know, Decubate and myself are, are still very much Web 2 based. So uh, you can uh, find me on LinkedIn, Kenton Langstroth, uh, and you can find Decubate at decubate.com.
0: Awesome. Well, Kenton, thank you so much for joining us. It was always a pleasure, uh, and I look forward to having you back for another in-depth conversation around all things DeFi, Web3, uh, and crypto. So, thank you.
3: Cheers. Thanks, Scott. This is Luke Stillman from the Magna Intelligence team. The holidays are coming up and consumers are opening their wallets with retail sales expected to grow by nearly 10%. E-commerce will again be a huge part of that, as COVID has permanently shifted consumer shopping preferences. Supply chain issues still exist, especially for the automotive, consumer electronics, toys, and game industries. But despite the lack of supply and rising prices, Consumers will spend nearly $900 billion online this year, compared to just $600 billion in 2019 before the crisis. That is driving a massive 33% growth in search advertising revenues. Looking forward, the shift to e-commerce brought about by COVID will transform the digital advertising landscape, with social media networks and video platforms all scrambling to integrate seamless product ads and one-click checkout into their offerings. Read about all this and more on the Magna Atlas or reach out to us at forecasting at com. Thanks.
0: Well, listeners, that is going to wrap up this week's episode of Floor 9. As always, you can find myself and Adam on Twitter. I am at T-I-P-P-I-E-R. Adam is at Adam J. Simon. And we'll be back with our final episode of the year, the Floor 9 Holiday Special. So see you all then.